Stuart Pankin, and you're listening to TV Confidential. Ed Roberts with a reminder that we will bring you a special Memorial Day weekend encore presentation of our conversation with Marvin J. Wolf, Marv Wolf, screenwriter, producer, and co-author of They Were Soldiers, beginning at the top of the hour. We hope you stay tuned for that. In the meantime, we will close out this hour by playing part two of a conversation that began last week with Emmy Award-winning director, producer, screenwriter, and playwright George Stevens Jr., George Stevens Jr., son of Academy Award-winning director George Stevens and the founder of the American Film Institute and the Kennedy Center honors George's memoir, My Place in the Sun, Life in the Golden Age of Hollywood and Washington shares George's lifelong passion for film and his commitment to the performing arts. It also provides insight into Hollywood's golden age and an insider's account of life in Washington. As George mentioned earlier in our conversation, he collaborated with at least eight U.S. presidents, as well as power brokers, media moguls, and social activists, both in Hollywood and Washington. My Place in the Sun also includes great stories of George's friendships with the likes of Elizabeth Taylor, James Dean, Robert Wagner, and Sidney Poitier, plus his experience working behind the scenes of four of his father's most famous films, Shane, The Diary of Anne Frank, Giant, and A Place in the Sun. My Place in the Sun, available wherever books are sold through University Press of Kentucky and Amazon.com. How did you come to found the American Film Institute? When the National Endowment for the Arts was created, the first draft of the bill came out, and it mentioned all of the arts, dance, painting, symphony, opera, theater, except it didn't mention motion pictures. And it happened that I knew uh, Senator Hubert Humphrey who was one of the authors of the bill. And I was in my position at USIA. I had come to know these people. And I called him and I said, it's unthinkable that we have an arts endowment without really the most fundamental of American art forms. And Humphrey got it in the bill and the bill was passed. And President Kennedy then appointed a, a National Arts Council before his death which in- included great figures, Marian Anderson, John Steinbeck, Leonard Bernstein, Isaac Stern. My father was on it. Gregory Peck was on it. Uh, Agnes DeMille. So now they met, and they kind of knew what to do about dance and theater, but they didn't know what to do about film. So they involved me, and I had been working with young directors at USIA and gotten a concern for the lack of films being preserved. And I suggested to them an American Film Institute. And then they did their work and all. And then I went with my father to the White House in the Rose Garden in 1965, where President Johnson signed the bill creating the National Endowment for the Arts. And he made it with about 120 congressmen there. He made a speech about opera, theater, symphonies, and then said, and we will create an American Film Institute, bringing together young filmmakers. And he described what we've been talking about at the AFI. And I later concluded that Jack Valenti, who was then at the White House, mm-hmm. that President Johnson said to him, read the speech and said, I want some meat on this bone. <laughs> and Jack went to the Arts Endowment and found out about the American Film Institute. And 
put that in the speech. And once Johnson had said it, it was his idea. So <laughs> it was going to happen. <laughs> every year or every couple of years, more movies are added to, you know, the 100 greatest films or, or the 1,000 greatest mm-hmm. films um, that the um, American Film Institute considers significant, you know, for one reason or another. Are there, mm-hmm. are there particular things that the Institute looks for when determining which films should be on the list or which films should be preserved to begin with? Well, when we were starting out, we would just wanted to preserve as many films as possible. The AFI has this 100 greatest films, and when they do that, that is a vote of various categories of people in the cinema world. And then the the Library of Congress has a film registry where they have a, a board that selects the classic films that should be on the film registry. Um, so it's different strokes for different folks. Our show being a, a program about television, I would say most of our listeners know about the AFI because of the of the wonderful re- retrospectives that uh, uh, AFI has produced many years honoring, you know, some of the great directors of our time, everyone from John Ford to Martin Scorsese, you know, uh, honoring the contributions of great actors of our time. John Ford was the original, was, was the first honoree, but I understand that if you had your druthers, it would have been Cary Grant. No, there's a story there. But it was earlier, before we thought about the, I thought about the Life Achievement Award, I had been challenged by the National Endowment for the Arts. They'd give us $500,000 if we raised another $500,000, so-called matching grant. And I was desperately thinking of how to raise $500,000. And I envisaged this event at the Kennedy Center, matching grant, carry grant, <laughs> and where, we would, where we would honor carry grants and hopefully raise $500,000. And it was a, the story is in the book, but Carrie ended up not being available for it, so it never happened. But then later, when I had the idea of creating the AFI Life Achievement Award for filmmakers whose work has stood the test of time for a career in film, then John Ford was the obvious first choice for the first year for his great career as a director. There are a lot of great Cary Grant stories in My Place <laughs> in the Sun. There, uh, George also walks us through the backstories of many of the Life Achievement Award honorees, including John Ford and James Cagney, and a, real, and a, and a wonderfully entertaining chapter about Frank Sinatra and Orson Welles. you got to pick up a copy of My Place in the Sun to read about that. My Place in the Sun, Life in the Golden Age of Hollywood, and Washington by our guest, George Stevens, Jr., My Place in the Sun, available right now wherever books are sold from University Press of Kentucky and Amazon.com. We have a few minutes left in our conversation. I want to ask you a couple of things. We lost Sidney Portier not too long ago. Uh, Sidney Portier was one of your dearest friends and he was also and he also worked with your father in fact uh, you mentioned the greatest story ever told what you're working on that when you got the offer from Murrow 
to go to Washington, D.C., but if I remember correctly from reading My Place in the Sun, it was on the set or it was during production of The Greatest Story Ever Told that you first met Sidney Poitier. It was. It was during the preparation of The Greatest Story Ever Told. We had an idea of casting prominent actors in smaller roles, and there is the part of uh, Simon of Cyrene who helps Jesus carried across uh, to Golgotha. And my father wanted a kind of diversity in this film, and he thought it would be wonderful if Sidney Poitier would play that role. And he asked me to go to New York and have lunch with Sidney Poitier and propose it to him, which I did, and which Sidney said yes to. And that was really our first meeting. But then we were our lives became intertwined, and one of the things that I'm most pleased with that I did was I wrote and directed a miniseries called Separate But Equal, mm-hmm. which is was the story of Brown versus the Board of Education, the Supreme Court decision that outlawed segregated schools. And Sydney, I asked to play Thurgood Marshall in that piece, and, and he did. And uh, it won the Emmy for the outstanding movie or miniseries of that year, and I had the pleasure of directing Sydney, and it kind of looped something around this. When Sydney, it was Sydney who presented me with the honorary Oscar I was awarded at, I think, in 2012, and in his little remarks, Sydney said uh, that he had the he was in a singular position of being the only person who has been directed both by George Stevens Sr. in The Greatest Story Ever Told and George Stevens Jr. in Separate But Equal. And to, of course, to receive that award from Sydney was the frosting on the cake, I guess. There's a very funny story about Sidney Poitier and teleprompters. You have to read My Place in the Sun in order to find out <laughs> that story. Uh, that made me laugh out loud when I read that, George. Um, oh, thank you. Uh, real quickly, one of the things I love about your book is you show you show the human side of your dad. You show your dad as a dad. And, and sports was one of the things that bonded the two of you throughout your life, baseball in particular, but all kinds of sports. There are a lot of great sports stories. There are a lot of great stories of you crossing paths with various sports figures. One of my favorite stories, and this is coming from a Giants fan, but I love the stories about you and Tommy Lasorda and how generous he was to your sons. Oh, Tommy, yeah, a friend, sports writer, former sports writer friend, took me and my boys to a Dodgers game in Los Angeles. We lived in Washington and didn't see Major League Baseball then. And we went down afterwards and met Tommy in his uh, office. And he was so great to Michael and David and later made them bat boys on the road. We'd go to New York. We'd go to Cincinnati, uh, St. Louis. And Tommy would make one or the other of them bat boys. And on one occasion, both of them bat boys when they were I guess 12 and 14. Uh, but and Tommy, the first time we met, uh, my older son Michael was, I guess, yeah, 13 then. And uh, we were walking down this hallway, and Jerry Royce, the six foot five inch 
He threw a no-hitter when he was with the Dodgers. Right. Against the Giants. He's walking, he's walking toward us. Yeah. And, and Michael and Tommy treated kids like they were adults. Mm-hmm. And he, he says, Jerry, he says, this is Michael Stevens. He's from Washington, D.C. He's a pitcher. He says, do you have any advice for Michael? And Michael looked up at Jerry Royce at six foot five, and Jerry looked down at him, and he said, Michael, he said, never put your hands in dishwasher. <laughs> When I when I was a kid growing up in San Francisco, I hated Tommy Lasorda because I was a Giants fan as I was a kid. But as I grew up, I loved Tommy Lasorda because he was a great ambassador for the game. Wasn't he? And, and on that same occasion, Dusty Baker, mm-hmm. the, the, the great slugging Dodger outfielder, came mm-hmm. in holding this this kind of uh, black bat. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, Tommy looked at that. He said, Dusty, this is David Stevens. He said, David's from Washington. He said, David doesn't have a bat, Dusty. Can, can you give him yours? <laughs> <laughs> Dusty kind of grimaced and handed David the bat, which is now uh, in the house of Michael's son, my grandson. Mm-hmm. So t- Tommy was just a, And, of course, Dusty Baker made his way to San Francisco. Absolutely. And, and later to Washington, but... Dusty is a great figure. Yes. In fact, as we record this conversation, Dusty just recorded his 2000th win as a major league manager. So that's one other way in which he has stood the test of time. And standing the test of time is one of the themes of George's memoir. My Place in the Sun, Life in the Golden Age of Hollywood and Washington by our guest, George Stevens Jr. My Place in the Sun, available right now wherever books are sold from University Press of Kentucky and Amazon.com. We mentioned at the beginning of a conversation, you're a creative person. You're always very busy. Uh, are you working on anything right now? Uh, like I a- am. I, 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 I can't seem to help it. I'm working. I have an idea. There's a book I'm very interested in that has, deals with an important part of American history mm-hmm. that I'd like to have as a film. Um, or perhaps a, stream, a, a longer streaming film. And I'm also, there's, there's a word that, filial piety, which, is, uh, which means taking care of your father. Mm-hmm. And I have just had the pleasure, not a burden, of, of being kind of the custodian of his legacy. And there's one film that I want to get preserved the way we did Giant this year. And that's the greatest story ever told. And um, so I'm going to be working on that. When when either or both of those projects are available to the public, please come back and visit us in TV Confidential. That would be my pleasure, Ed. You are a wonderful person to talk to, and uh, I've, I've enjoyed it. My Place in the Sun, Life in the Golden Age of Hollywood and Washington, available right now wherever books are sold from University Press of Kentucky and Amazon.com. Be part of our conversation. If you like what you hear, have thoughts on this week's program, or have an idea for a future edition of TV Confidential, we'd love to hear from you. You can email us at talk at tvconfidential.net, talk at tvconfidential.net. You can also message us at facebook.com forward slash TV Confidential, x.com forward slash TV Confidential, or at 
TV Confidential on Instagram. And if you're listening to us on the TV Confidential podcast, please be sure to hit the subscribe button. This portion of TV Confidential is brought to us by our friends at Front Porch Realty, the community of realtors in the Northern Bay area of California that is committed to finding the solution that is best for their clients. Whether you're a first-time home buyer or looking to sell or lease your property in Northern California, call Karen Strain at 415-886-7411 or visit frontporchrealtygroup.com for more information on how they can help you.